Welcome into a Monday brand new week edition of the Baseball Insiders. I am Adam Weiner, but alongside fan sided MLB insider Robert Murray and every other baseball pod is doing their Boston Red Sox pod. So we figured we would as well to assess our early May opinions of the Bo Sox. Plus takeaways from Yankees Rays over the weekend. Where did the Pirates vibes go and why did the Cardinals sign Wilson Contreras to not be a catcher? Robert Murray, thanks as always for joining me. Another wild weekend in Major League Baseball. Dude, it was absolutely nuts. Um, that Wilson Contreras thing basically took up my entire weekend, and it was trying to track that entire thing was just – it made me ask myself one question. What in the absolute heck were they thinking when they signed Wilson Contreras to that five-year contract? We'll get into that in a little bit, but, like, wow, what a weekend is right. How you doing, my friend? I'm doing good. Uh, I don't know if obviously a burner is here to watch my funeral after yesterday's Yanks Rays game. Uh, I, I turns out the people who are more optimistic on the series were right. The Yankees did take one of those games. We'll talk about that. Uh, I said sweep coming. I was wrong. Sweep not coming, but it was a uh, it was a dark loss to end the series for the New York Yankees. And before we get into the Red Sox chatter, uh, I do just want to make it known this is almost too crazy to be real, but is real. And you can hear stories like this Mondays and Thursdays, 3.30 on the Baseball Insiders channel. We'll be here every week, twice a week on YouTube, sometimes more if the situation calls for it. Uh, And certainly the situation will call for it as we approach the trade deadline, of course. But you can find us here and you can find us on the audio feed uh, (laughs) right uh, as soon as the uh, season uh, you know, as soon as the season wraps, as soon as the episode wraps, of course, I got distracted by obviously a burner trolling me. Shout out to the trolls. Uh, we, we do love the trolls. We love to feed the trolls. And I promise this is a true story. Um, I wore a uh, I, I bought a sweatshirt from Roback, which is like thin, sort of like a summer sweatshirt. It's like a golf sweatshirt. It's like you rock it when it's like mid 70s. You kind of want to cover up the arms. You don't want to sweat too much. The last time I wore it that I can recall was when the Yankees blew an 8-3 lead to the Blue Jays last summer. So I was at a minor league game yesterday, and I was like, you know what? I'm going to want a sweatshirt. I'm not going to want a thick one. I'll want a thin one. Should I wear it again? Like, it can't be a bad luck sweatshirt. Yeah. You know, that doesn't exist. That's not something that's not real. Um, so, you know, I might as well wear it. And like, if, look, the Yankees might win. They might lose. And if they lose, they'll probably lose like 3-2 or whatever. There's no way they'd blow another huge lead. Then they blew a six nothing lead with Garrett Cole on the mound. So that sweatshirt is is banned for life at this point. Yeah, it's cursed. Because I mean, when when's the last time that Garrett Cole blew a six run lead? Like, I, so basically, what we're saying, blame Adam Weinrib for Garrett Cole's downfall. Um, I would blame me. I, I mean, I'm going to. I fully intend to ban Adam. Actually, cancel Adam. This is uh, you're you're done, buddy. Yeah, cancel me. Cancel me. There are repercussions for your actions these days. That's what we call cancel culture. And I've been canceled. But one franchise that apparently is uncancelable is the Boston Red Sox. They keep coming back. The American League East cockroaches, the scrappy underdogs with a luxury tax breaking payroll are back again. And we got to talk about them. Everybody at the end of last week got their Red Sox pods in while they were in the midst of a six game winning streak facing the Blue Jays, beat them four straight times at Fenway, then go to Philly win the first on Friday, win the second on Saturday. I tell you what, I outlined this week's episode talking about a nine-game winning streak because I did not expect them to beat Taiwan Walker. 
Yes, uh, I thought Taiwan Walker would get wrecked. Taiwan Walker actually beat the Sox to snap their streak. The Phillies end up getting out of there with one of those wins. But I do think it's time we talk about drinking the Red Sox Kool-Aid, whether or not we are doing it. You take out series sweeps by the Pirates and Rays against them. They are 22-8. and eight. The lineup can mash. You want to call it unsustainable, but Alex Verdugo took Alex Cora's challenge pretty seriously. He has responded in a major way and has become a cornerstone piece. Masataki Yoshida has rebounded to post a 16-game hitting streak. Jaron Duran, Connor Wong, and Manuel Valdez, who hit 184 with a 675 OPS at AAA, 324 with an 848 mark in the bigs. I'm not bitter. They're doing this without any real impact from Tristan Casas and Trevor Story on the shelf, and they've got the Cardinals and Mariners still looming at home. So I ask you, Robert Murray, everybody knows I've been watching the Red Sox forever because I can't stop watching the Red Sox, even if I'm not supposed to be. But is it time to finally take them seriously? Was a sweep against the Jays and a series win over the reeling Phillies enough to do it? Because we're definitely still in small sample size mode. The reason they have one of the best records in baseball is because they swept one series and won two others. But how are you feeling about Boston these days? I have a lot of different feelings uh, regarding the Boston Red Sox right now. Uh, Like, to their credit, they've exceeded everyone's expectations. Uh, I did not have them starting like this, but I am reminded of a conversation that we had before the season started on this very podcast that the Red Sox had a very soft schedule to start the season. And they could end up being the team that after a month uh, has a really surprising looking record. Lo and behold, that exact scenario has presented itself. And I'm still in the skeptical category. I wonder when or I wonder how much longer that this team can continue can perform like this. Um, but and here's another one that I, wa- I want to present to you, too, Adam. Mm-hmm. You look at Kike Hernandez. He is in the first percentile in outs above average. You add a guy like Xander Bogarts, who's in the 97th percentile in outs above average. What exactly does this team look like? It's It makes me miss Xander Bogarts for this team even more. It makes me wonder what it would look like with him. It makes me look like, or makes me wonder what it would look like with Trevor's story in it. Um, then if they had either of those guys, I think I'd be much more likely to buy into what they're doing. Um, but I think this next month is going to be really telling. But that being said, we're also in the we're also at the point now where I think I am starting to like. How do I want to phrase this? Small sample sizes don't necessarily come into play as much because we're past a month into the season. Um, so maybe what we're seeing is actually real, and it's just taking me a bit longer to buy into what they're actually doing. But um, credit to that organization. They got ripped to shreds in the offseason, especially high in bloom. Um, and Alex Cora has done a masterful job at navigating all this. As I said before, I'm, I'm curious to see exactly how much longer they can do this. But um, so far, so good for the Boston Red Sox. I've seen enough. It's time to fire Alex Cora. No, I, <laughs> I, I do think it is. It is crazy. The comeback wins too. the, the way that they're winning these games. I mean, all it takes to be classified as a comeback win is, they were down one nothing on Saturday to Philly and stormed back and ran them out of the gym. And it does feel like this lineup just clicks, clicks, clicks um, when they're going right. But that's 14 comeback wins out of 21 wins this year. That is very impressive, and it shows their mentality. You're right. I did warn everybody about the potential hot start, but it came about differently than I expected it to. 
Um, I thought they would lay waste to the Pirates in that early season at Fenway. They did not do that. The Pirates swept them. Uh, I did not think they were going to take the Blue Jays to task last week, and they ran through them. And and top-of-the-line pitching, too. Kikuchi, Manoa, Gossman got wrecked in the fourth game of that series. Yep. Um, so they've definitely taken a circuitous route. And I'll admit, I called them a couple uh, – about a week ago, I said they were relentlessly 500 because it just seemed like they were begging to fall below 500, but they would win some quirky game to bring them back or they would lose a heartbreaker and then the next day win 9-1. And so you couldn't really get a handle on what they were doing because you could have argued they, they should have been five over. You could have easily argued they should have been five under, but they just seemed dedicated to finding their way back to 500, which is kind of what we're dealing with with the Yankees now. We'll, of course, talk about that you know in one segment over. But now it does feel like they're, they're unbalanced, right? The lineup was always going to hit. And it's managed to hit. And some of the contributors have been different than we expected. I didn't think Yoshida was going to be this good, this fast. I didn't think Adam Duvall was going to hit 490 or whatever before he left. I didn't think Casas was going to be this slow to adjust. I didn't think, uh, you know, I thought we'd get more out of Kike Hernandez. I thought we'd get more out of Christian Arroyo. Um, I didn't. I thought Verdugo would be this hot because he always is. But that said, the rotation and bullpen together have been much worse than expected. Kenley Jansen, or as bad as expected Kenley Jansen throwing 97 again but the team ERA is 4.84 still and every day you seem to wake up and it's Kluber with a six ERA going and then Tanner Houck with a five ERA going and Brian Bayo is flirting with six um they're gonna need more than the occasional throwback Chris Sale start to really sustain this I also think it's important to note that last year's Red Sox team was a last place team and I think most Boston fans hated so much that they spent this offseason booing ownership and going to the winter weekend to yell at management and acting like you know some grave injustice had been done. And a grave injustice had been done because this team, for the last several years, even when they've looked good, you can't help but do what you just did and say they'd be better with Xander Bogarts, they'd be better with Mookie Betts, and it's true. Uh, but last year's Red Sox team that everybody despised went 20-6 and six in June. So you just want a reminder of the high variance of what a good lineup, bad rotation and bullpen team can do. The June 2022 Red Sox had it all working hotter than this team, and they still ended up in last place and under 500. So I'm nervous about them, but I, I can't draw a grand conclusion yet. No, not quite yet. And like, there's a lot of season left. And um, for those exact reasons, what you just outlined is, I think, reasons to either be optimistic, but also like, be realistic at the same time because entering the season, I don't think anyone really expected them to be doing much uh, considering the amount of booing that was done at FanFest and um, the pressure that was put on Heim Bloom uh, for the roster construction that he did. Um, I'll tell you, if they're in a relatively decent spot of contention come the trade deadline, I think they need to be really aggressive at pursuing a shortstop. Um, shortstop is their biggest, it's most glaring need. They obviously acquired, uh, Alberto Modesty from the Royals before the season started. Um, but that was really just like a flyer more than anything. And if you can end up getting like a more meaningful option, um, that would be obviously very ideal. I don't know who that would be because I cannot picture the Brewers under any circumstance parting with Willie Adamas. Um, that, if you thought Josh Hader was popular in that locker room, Willie Thomas, 
he is uh, he he takes the cake. That is probably the most popular guy in that in that locker room. And if you moved him, that would just create mad chaos. And I can't see uh, the front office and ownership there doing that for a second consecutive season. So Heimblum may de- may need to get creative. Um, but if they're still contending shortstop, they need to address that in a big way. Do you think they might dip into the pitching market too? Just because, you know, I know they believe in Bayo and I know they think, you know, Garrett Whitlock comes back. They can't view him as a true talent six ERA guy. James Paxton is coming back. I just don't know if any of those are enough. No, um, I don't think so either. And like, it's, it's complicated. Like I remember coming into the season thinking pirates are probably going to be a seller once again at the deadline. I wondered if maybe they could flip Rich Hill back to Boston because if there's ever a team that Rich Hill would want to get traded to, it's Boston. Because um, that's, I mean, obviously he's had a pretty story career that he's from the area. Um, but I think they would absolutely, and they should, um, target pitching additions. Because, I mean, look at the guys they lost in the offseason. Nathan Eovaldi, I don't think they really had any chance of retaining him. Um, you look at Michael Waka, obviously, like he left, Rich Hill left. And yeah, I mean, those are, those are meaningful arms. I mean, those, those are guys who provided big innings for them last year and in years past and replacing those arms is difficult. Um, obviously burner don't hate that idea. Actually. Um, you have many good ideas. I'll give you that one, but, um, Boston, absolutely. They need to, um, shortstop and starting pitching has to be their two, their two primary focuses at the, at the deadline, at least at this point. It's very funny because the, the hottest teams in the East, I mean, the Blue Jays are well-constructed. We all knew what we were going to get from the Toronto Blue Jays. Uh, and they might have series where they just click, which they did in Pittsburgh over the weekend. Um, but then the other teams, the Orioles, you know, the Rays are, you know, it goes without saying, they're pretty balanced as well. But the Orioles and Sox are both in flames right now with pitching staffs that anybody, any objective observer would look at and go, that's pretty underwhelming. I don't know where that staff, that starting staff, that bullpen is carrying me. Um, but lo and behold, 21 and 15 for Boston, 22 and 12 for the Orioles. Um, I got to say, which one of these teams, great lineups, great bullpens, great youth and subpar rotations, which team do you believe in more at this point? Give me the Baltimore Orioles. Uh, I've, I've been a pretty big Baltimore Orioles fan on this podcast. And I really like what that front office has done. I, I won't get into the fact that they didn't go after a big name star in the offseason, but they have a lot of young talent on that roster, headlined by Adley Rutschman. They got some really talented pieces throughout that entire roster. Obviously, if they could improve something, it'd be the rotation. Um, but I, I like the pieces that they have on that team. And I think the fact that they have Rutschman gives them the star power that could end up leading them to the postseason and maybe even win them a postseason series. Um, obviously that's looking way far ahead, but if you had to give me the pick of the two, I would go with the Orioles. What about you, Adam? I'm the Orioles by a nose too. I I think I like the Red Sox bullpen more than I should. Maybe just because Kenley's been resurgent to start the year, but they're not losing games. They lead late. Um, they're falling behind early and then catching up as the game goes on while the bullpen holds things together. Um, I prefer the Orioles energy, and I prefer the the cohesiveness of the Orioles lineup. I'm still not sure. Um, you know, Red Sox batting at lineup feels a little slapdash. You've got Casas and Emmanuel Valdez on a heater, and then Justin Turner's in there, and he's he's been all right, but he's been relatively powerless. 
Um, you know, Casas is going to heat up at some point, but is Verdugo going to hit 330 all year? Yoshida, even as great as he is, is he going to hit 380 with power all year? Probably not. Um, we we looked at the way that this schedule fell for the Red Sox, and I think it's pretty funny that I thought, uh, you know, I thought May would be this gauntlet, starting with the Blue Jays and then the Phillies and the Cardinals and Mariners. But then all of a sudden, the Phillies have taken a step back. The Cardinals are the worst team in baseball, and the Mariners are struggling. And now the Mariners have gotten themselves back to 500. The Diamondbacks still look good. Red Sox have to go on the road and face the Angels. They're improving. The Padres, they're improving. It's not a gauntlet. It's not easy soup for the Red Sox to digest, but it's somewhere in between. So I think May will tell us a lot about Boston, whether they can sustain this heater or just fall back on that sweep against the Jays and say, yeah, that was pretty good, but we're still kind of distinctly average. No, exactly. And like, I still think they're going to be, I don't think they're going to be average. I think maybe a little bit above that, but um, this month is, is going to be very telling for them. And if they end up this month in like, I don't know, let's say they go 500 or just above it. That's what I'm going to be like, okay, maybe this team is actually like going to be better than I expected. This month is going to be very telling for them. And you also mentioned the name Justin Turner. I don't know when it's going to sink in that he's a Boston Red Sox. It still is not for me quite yet. I always, I hear Justin Turner, I think Los Angeles Dodgers. Um, It is a very weird thing that he is not in LA, but um, I don't know. Has it sunk in for you, Adam, or is it just me? No, it definitely hasn't. And and the Yankees have not played the Red Sox yet. So it's this bizarre, we're, we're waiting another month. By the way, we have like the first weekend in June. We get them back-to-back weekends at Yankee Stadium and at Fenway, but it'll be like June 9th or whatever. So maybe at that point, it'll feel real. He looks like a 2004 Red Sox. So I think if I see him in the uniform, I'll be like, good Lord, like time machine. But until I actually see it like in a full series against the Yankees, it's going to feel strange. Oh, absolutely. Like, and by the way, that's actually a great shout. He looks like it, somebody who would have belonged on one of those old Red Sox teams. Like, I don't know why, but I can just picture him being teammates with a guy like Kevin Euclid. Um, yeah. Kevin, you a uh, good shout, by the way. I was, I, have a, I was, I actually just saw him the other day, not like in person, but like somewhere on TV. And it was just like, um, I don't know, a blast from the past. I think it may, may have been with Jared Carabas. Um, yeah, I think he's on Nesson now, too. He always. For me, the pedroia Euclid dichotomy was like, I hated both of them, but I loved to hate Euclid. You could just tell, like, if he was on my roster, that guy would go to battle every single day. Pedroia, I hated to hate. I thought he was all about himself. And I, I never understood when people said, like, I think people just called him this, like, team first grinder because he was small. But every time you talked to him, and like, every interview with Pedroia was like, I'm a laser show or whatever. And I was always like, all right, dude, like, cool. I want to beat you. <laughs> oh, I, I did not. Oh, well, I actually I should have realized that Adam was petty like that. But hey, you know what? I, I was a big Dustin Pedroia fan growing up. Um, I mean, it's I thought he was cool. Him at second base, being his being his stature. I mean, I was a second baseman way back when uh, when I was like knee high to a grasshopper. Um, but uh, yeah, he gave me hope, and and well, here I am now on the baseball insider. So I, I, yeah, it's still a win. That's still a win. Yeah. No, you did it. You did it. I did it. Uh, you know, I, I played the hot corner for a while. Not well enough. Um, the highlight of my baseball career was I made a diving catch in BP once in right field. And the coach of the opposing team who ran our local travel team was like, if you do that one more time, 
you're on my roster. It was like, we, it was actually weird that he did that. Like that doesn't happen in real life. And then I did, I did it again and I got to play travel baseball for a summer. So, but after that, it was way downhill. Hey, you know what? I'm proud of you for making travel baseball, Adam. That's good work by you. Yeah. One summer. And I hated Dustin Pedroia every step of the way. Um, and it makes sense that I hated him though, because I do root for the New York Yankees. Sometimes I try to bury it a little bit. Yankees had a statement series in Tampa at the Trop this weekend. It's obviously a Burner's raise. Uh, strange one. Very. Strange one. Anthony Rizzo, after the series, said he learned a lot about the Yankees, that they can hang with these Rays. I'm not sure if I learned that. I definitely learned that they can lose tight games against the Rays with bad baseball plays. I certainly learned that. Uh, blooper from Harrison Bader wins the middle game. Ian Hamilton gets the first save of his career. He has emerged as a key member of the Yankees' bullpen which is deeply odd. Uh, I think we certainly learned that Bader's energy brings something to this Yankees team that they were lacking and his offensive ability. But the first game, the Yankees charge back from four down and lose it on a drop fly ball. And yesterday, Garrett Cole, not the bullpen, Garrett Cole himself coughs up a 6-0 lead in two innings and they get walked off in extras. I know they didn't get swept, but they were about one inning away from getting swept. I would say I came away less than impressed with this current version of the New York Yankees, and I didn't have the same takeaway as Rizzo. If you're this undermanned Yankees roster, you have to play perfect baseball right now, fundamentally sound. They were not that all weekend. Glaber Torres made some weird plays at second. Jimmy Cordero let the tie-breaking run yesterday score on a ground ball back to the mound where he recorded the out at first, and Jose Siri scored from second. I would say I learned much more about the Yankees being unprepared than I did about them being able to hang with the Rays. Yeah, that series was interesting in a lot of different ways. And I'm trying not to overreact to it. But as you said, they were one inning away from being swept. Um, and if anything, it it showed just how big the gap is between those two teams. Because uh, it's weird hearing a Yankees player talk like that, that they – that they learn that they can hang with it, hang with the team. Like um, teams should be trying to hang with the Yankees. Uh, it shouldn't be the other way around, especially with how much they've invested in that roster. Um, but a good portion of the money that they've invested in that roster is on the injured list. And that's why I'm, I'm trying to take like the reasonable, like not hot take approach. I think the Yankees are going to be fine. This series obviously was not great. Um, they could have very easily won two games out of it. Um, I'm very curious to see what these teams look like when they square off when they're both healthy. I don't know if Carlos Rodon, or I don't know when he's going to return. I saw apparently John Boy said something about Rodon possibly being out for the year. Uh, I I have not watched that clip, but I've seen people quote him on that. Um, If that's the case, that's a massive blow. And they got to figure out exactly what to do. Uh, and if that is indeed the case, we're looking at Frankie Montas hardly ever pitching for the Yankees. Um, we're also looking at Carlos Rodon missing perhaps his first year in New York. That's not great. Obviously a burner. I am a big believer in the Tampa Bay Rays. <laughs> they are every bit as good as, as the record would indicate. Like they are from top to bottom, just absolute, just they're animals is what they are. And all props to that team, all props to that front office, all props to obviously a burner. Uh, would the, yep. That would not be possible without you. 
Um, the Rays are quite easily like the cream of the crop in that division. The Yankees, they got a lot of work to do. They got to get healthy first. And when those guys eventually do return, I'm wondering just how far back are they going to be um, from the Rays? Are they going to be 10 games? Are they going to be more than that? Oh, boy. The Aaron Judge can't come back soon enough. And supposedly that's tomorrow. Yeah, we, we are seeing – I mean, John Boy is saying don't be optimistic about Rodon returning this year. I think you can't be optimistic about anything at this point. He, he was in the dugout for this series. He clearly wants to pitch. I give him all the credit in the world for reporting what he reported because it's not pain. It's discomfort that's restricting him from being able to throw and hit his spots. Um, so it's deep. It's a deeply odd injury issue, and it's a chronic back issue. He could have just come back sloppy, right? If he's not feeling any pain, he doesn't have to tell the Yankees he's feeling any pain. He could just come back and look rough and look like a shell of himself. So I, I give him credit for saying that. I think they hope the cortisone shot knocks it out and he's able to come back in two months. But we're definitely looking at the possibility of Montas coming back before him which is deeply insane if you listen yeah. to any of these podcasts at the beginning of the year. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I didn't think – that was not even something that registered in my mind when Rodon went on the injury list earlier in the year. Like, you automatically just assumed he would return before Frankie Montas, and then all of a sudden it kept dragging and dragging and dragging. And then this, like, would you call it – is it a setback? Is that officially what they're calling it? Yeah, I it, it's a deeply strange and very quintessentially Yankees thing of he goes on the IL for this forearm strain – says he would pitch through it if it were later in the year, but he won't because it's March. He wants to listen to the team and listen to doctors. Nobody blames him. And then during the rehab, he ends up feeling these symptoms of some chronic back condition. And now he's going to have to work his way through it. It has all the hallmarks of, I do think he comes back this year, gut feeling, but it has all the hallmarks of he comes back this year, doesn't look like himself, has off-season surgery. I think that's like sort of the natural path. Man, I'll tell you, if that's the case, that that hurts. And because especially the contract that they gave him too, this is not a small amount of money. And maybe because there was reports throughout the offseason that he was looking for what, like seven or seven years, even eight years. Is that right? Yeah, people were getting that over 200 and, and the Yankees stood their ground, only had to pay one hundred sixty two dollars for a guy with a chronic back issue. One hundred sixty-two million, not one hundred sixty-two dollars. Yeah. Oh and no, I believe it's one hundred sixty-two dollars after insurance kicks. In. <laughs> yeah, I'll tell you, like holy smokes, like it. There's a reason why these teams were not willing to go that long and also that big financially. I mean, one hundred sixty-two million bucks. That's that's a big amount of money. That's not a small chunk of change, and. I like that match between Rodon and the Yankees throughout the entire offseason was the buzz of rival executives. It was a buzz of rival agents. It was, this is bound to get done at some point. It's just a matter of when, not if. Lo and behold, it did. The Yankees got him at a price that they were very comfortable with. Has not paid off, uh, and that is putting it very lightly. And if he's indeed out for the year, which we don't know, you never know. They're waiting to see how that cortisone shot response for him. But if that is indeed the case, that is about as bad of a first year as you could have ever envisioned for, for Carlos Rodon in New York. I still love him. I still love the fit, but yeah, it's it's dark. And and before we move on, obviously a burner. The only thing I'll say about defending the Yankees and Rizzo about what he's supposed to say, the cameras caught Anthony Rizzo in the dugout going after Kyle Higashioka a little bit uh, for forgetting the count in the first inning of Saturday's game. He called a chase pitch on 1-1 one, one 
he got the he got Margot to swing over it, but then couldn't call it with two strikes and gave up a two run double. We've already seen Rizzo taking his teammates to task for being a little undisciplined in a in a series where they had to show better initiative. I think he can get away with talking to the media after the series and saying we were close, but right now we have to play better. We have to play tighter. We come away from the series feeling good, but I don't think we can rest after this. Instead of just sort of leaving it as, you know, we prove we can hang with them. I think you prove you can hang with them, but that you need to pay more attention to detail. And I think he's allowed to say that as a team leader. But I don't know, Robert, maybe I'm maybe that's the fan in me just sort of wishing that I could hear from a captain a little bit. No, I'm thinking you're dead on with that. He's earned that. And that's part of what makes him such a valuable teammate and player is like the leadership that he brings. So I don't have any issue with that whatsoever. Um, it's uh, this is going to be a very testing and important time for that Yankees leadership as a whole, like Rizzo, Aaron judge. Uh, you can even throw Giancarlo Stanton in there. You can throw like some of these different guys in there too. Um, if they, well, I think they will turn this around. So I'll go when they turn this around, you're going to look like, obviously the talent on that team is going to be pretty important. Um, it's very important. Aaron Boone's very important in that too, but their leadership, um, and making sure that 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 locker room is in one piece and it's on the same page, that's going to be an underrated underrated reason why they eventually turn this thing around. I'm a long term believer as well. I I just saw some nice fire in these games. I would have liked to have seen it translate uh, to two wins or even a post game discussion of what went wrong. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn five dollars into one hundred and fifty dollars instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code Champion One Hundred and Fifty. Then place a five dollar wager on any sport. You'll receive one hundred and fifty dollars in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the King of Sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets and so much more download the app in virginia today and get 150 dollars in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at betmgm betmgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly see betmgm.com for terms 21 plus only virginia only new customer offer subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days please gamble responsibly gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER promotional offer not available in washington dc everybody in your crew identifies as either big mac burger mcnuggets or mccrispy sandwich but you're the filet fish sandwich all day that crispy fish that savory tartar sauce that melty cheese that pillowy bun yeah you get it Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation? Where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission. At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground. Cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Speaking of what's going wrong in Major League Baseball, two NL Central teams trending uh, in interesting directions downward. Uh, one NL Central team, one NL Central player. The Pittsburgh Pirates got a reality check last week against the Rays during the week. 
and the Jays this weekend, a rough home series after playing at a trop and struggling for the Pittsburgh Pirates. We've been all over their vibes all year. Uh, we know that even if this season does not turn out with a playoff berth, that there's something going right in Pittsburgh. That said, are you panicking and have those vibes hibernated a little bit after a slow weekend showing? So I, I, I have thoughts. Um, and that's always a good thing, especially since we're on a podcast. Um, but I think the Pirates, long-term, their arrow is continuing to trend up. They have the pieces both in the major league roster and in the minor league roster or on the, or in the minor league system um, where they're going to end up being a, a very good team um, for, a de- for, a good, for a good amount of time. I never thought they were a team that was going to win the division this year. I thought maybe they could, they could contend um, for like a wild card berth for like the number three spot there. Um, so it's, I think it's more of a reality check than everything or reality check more than anything that um, their, their roster is far from perfect. They still have holes. They still have pieces on that team that they could definitely upgrade on. Not having O'Neill Cruz certainly hurts. Um, I mean, they've basically had musical chairs there. They even made a roster move. Uh, I think the option of Mark Mathias earlier today. Um, it's it's losing him obviously hurt. They have plenty of talent where they can actually hover around 500, or maybe even be above it by the end of the year. But this last stretch, not panicking, not panicking, but maybe it was more of a reality check than anything. Speaking of a significant reality check, the St. Louis Cardinals were humbled this weekend a few times by the Detroit Tigers, who are now in second place. Interesting. My eyebrows are raised. Uh, But they made more noise off the field with the Wilson Contreras situation. Um, Not a catcher anymore, I guess. I I mean, we all knew what Wilson Contreras was, especially heading into this five-year contract. And less than two months deep, the Cardinals have decided he now is not their Yadier Molina heir apparent it was floated that he played the outfield a little bit. And then on Sunday, they sort of said, I guess we're not going to do that. He's going to be more of a perma DH or something close to it. Solve this mystery and untangle this knot for me. Cause I think we all knew Wilson Gutierrez was an offense first catcher DH probably in his future. He's hitting, he's got a 114 OPS plus. They always knew what type of player he was. So why during their worst period of the season, when all eyes are on the, 11 and 24 Cardinals. Do they make this sudden announcement and throw another wrench in things? Adam, I was blown away by this. Um, Genuinely, when I saw the stories coming out of St. Louis that they were moving Wilson Contreras to the outfield, I thought it was some sick prank. Um, It made no sense to me whatsoever. You had just invested five years and over $80 million into this guy to be their catcher, be Adier Molina's replacement. Less than two months into the season, you yank the cord and say you're moving them to the outfield and the next day they're like oh wait we're not actually going to do that it is a very bizarre thing uh it makes you wonder about the leadership in st louis uh if they're all on the same page if it's ali marmol making this decision if it's john mosaic making the decision or like what exactly is going on here um but we'll <laughs> I, I'm sh- I'm shocked we're even having to talk about this because like, I can't you, believe we're doing this in May. Yeah, like of all the time, like I didn't think we were gonna have this discussion. Period. But like the Cardinals, I'm actually I'm aggravated by this, Adam. It is so 
at the trade deadline last year, Wilson Contreras was a very hot name in the rumor mill. And then about two hours before the deadline, I had found out from a very plugged in source that it was probably unlikely that he was going to be moved because the, the, or the Cubs were not getting the value that they wanted. Um, obviously there was teams interested like the Padres and, and the Astros, but like no team was willing to invest significant resources because obviously Contreras is on an expiring contract, but there were concerns that came with him, especially defensively. Um, and this off season, the Cardinals met with Contreras. Other teams had interest in Contreras, but the Cardinals, when they met with Contreras, they were immediately sold that he was the guy. And they offered him a contract that I am under the impression that no other team was willing to come close to. And he ultimately took it. And I remember in that moment, I was blown away that the Cardinals gave him that much money. I thought it was a mistake, especially some of the stuff that I've heard about is like, I mean, you've seen it defensively, but like also like the stuff you hear from others who have played around him uh, about his defense and just like other stuff too. And it's just like, it's revealed itself early on and they got to fix this quickly. They could have absolutely invested more into the pitching staff and sign more players. Uh, This is not just a Wilson Contreras thing. This is a St. Louis Cardinals organizational failure. Um, We got to call it like, like we see it like offensively has been fine, um, but they should have seen this coming defensively. And um, I know Contreras is going back to Chicago today for the first time. Uh, and he's playing them as a rival. He should be celebrated in Chicago. I feel bad for him in St. Louis because the Cardinals failed him. Um, obviously, he could probably be better. Uh, they've, they've been reports about um, him not meeting the standard for like the work, like behind the plate or whatever. I, I can't remember the exact phrasing that Katie Wu used in her story, which you should read for sure. Um, but all around, that signing is off to a very bad start. It's feeling a little bit like fan management in St. Louis. Like a lot of like if you polled angry Cardinals fans and they were like, we got to get Contreras out from behind the plate. He's killing us. He's not Yachty. Then the management group is like, all right. Yeah, you're right. Let's get him. It's like every Yankee fan who tweets fire Boone every day. It's like if Hal Steinbrenner was like, after reading a thousand tweets today, I've decided to dismiss Aaron Boone and relieve him of his managerial duties. Like it, I'm sure more process went into this, but for them to reverse course so quickly, the Tyler O'Neill stuff, all the sloppiness, Ollie Marmol last week or the week prior saying that I guarantee these players care more about these losses than fans do, which I know what he meant to say, but it really does come off as, yeah, okay, fans are mad, but like, I don't really care. It's about the players in the room. Like, you got to care a little bit. Uh, the, the yeah. writing, you know, these are lifelong fans. The, the players do come and go to a certain extent and the fans aren't leaving. No. And it's the, the juju somehow in St. Louis has gotten worse than I ever thought it could have. Like I thought a couple weeks ago, um, it hit rock bottom. And then this entire thing happened with Wilson Contreras and the vibes have hit a new low and it's, it's really puzzling. And are they they're not at the point now where they have to make a decision or where they should make a decision on like a, a big organizational decision, I should say, like on Ali Marmol or Mosaic or or whoever. But if this continues deep into the season, they gotta ask some they gotta they gotta ask themselves some really tough questions. And um 
it would also make force them to ask themselves was, was firing Mike Schilt a mistake because he had that locker room in a really, really, really good place. Um, he was a very respected guy, St. Louis Cardinal lifer, fired him for his, his pupil basically in Ali Marmol. Um, boy, what, what a time. I, I swear to you, you could have asked me of any team that would disappoint this season. The Cardinals would have probably not been in my top 10. Uh, I know their pitching was a concern, but like, they have enough talent throughout that roster where I thought they would have been fine, but that they're over 10 games under 500 right now. Adam. Like what in the absolute frick is going on? I almost use a much more strong word than that. I'm glad I caught myself. Um, wow. It's, it's unbelievable. I'm, I'm actually like, it's, it's upsetting to see a Cardinals organization, which is as storied as any in baseball um, be as bad as this. I would have said, and I'm going to say it now that it sounds embarrassing and that's how everybody knows that I'm telling the truth. I would have said they were more of a playoff lock than the Dodgers. And I really believed that because of the outfield depth and that lineup. I really, truly believe that. And they are uh, disappointing. Doesn't even begin to cover it. Um, before we sign off, I'm going to get make sure that you get a New York sports radio hit this week too. We talk about the New York Mets just for a quick second because – This one, as you've noted, was sort of easier to predict. Like, this is so much money sunk into two pitchers in Max Scherzer and Justin Verlander and another in Kodai Senga. Uh, None of these players have found the fountain of youth. Jose Quintana, not exactly young either. Uh, The Mets spent an awful lot of money to not meaningfully upgrade unless you consider Verlander versus DeGrom. I mean, it's only an upgrade in terms of the length of contract. And... They are getting reamed this week in New York, rightfully so. Scherzer and Verlander look dreadful. They were supposed to fatten up against the Tigers and the Rockies, and they did the opposite. Now they're under 500. How soon is too soon to panic on this team? <laughs> this is, uh, I keep coming back to the conversation we have making our, our preseason predictions. I'm, I'll mention this every podcast until this eventually turns. We are we, so we, stupid. Yeah, we are. We're complete idiots, Adam. We we thought the season was the most predictable season in recent memory, and baseball just decided to just say, "Hold my beer." And the Mets, I mean, they are definitely um, that. This one was easier to forecast than the Cardinals, in my opinion, because the the Mets obviously they wanted to add another big bat. They tried signing Carlos Correa. Ultimately, that did not work out. Um, and Francisco Lindor struggled. I, mean, I don't think we could have seen that coming. But what was very easy to see coming was the rotation having some issues, especially when you look at their average age. It is 35.6 years old for their top five starting pitchers, Adam. Uh, that is, that's got to be the oldest rotation in baseball by quite a big margin. And through this point of the season, through over a month into the year, they have only made 16 combined starts. And their combined ERA is 5.06. That is not good. Um, Scherzer's obviously been dealing with some stuff. Verlander just came back off the injured list. Uh, Kodai Senga, apparently John Heyman said he had an iffy physical um, when, he, when he agreed to terms with the Mets. Uh, Jose Quintana still has not pitched. And he's probably not going to pitch until closer to midseason. And, um, Carlos Carrasco has also dealt with a, an assortment of injuries. And it's just like... Um, that's a tough one. And I know they got depth. They got some other pieces where they can get innings from, but, um, 
they're, they're going to, I, I think they will eventually turn it around, but to me, they're the clear number three team in that division. I think it's the Phillies. Well, it's the Braves, Phillies, then, then the Mets. And then, yeah, I mean, it's, Boy, I, the Mets and the Cardinals struggling with the amount of money and resources that, that they've invested in those rosters. Woof. Not uh, to quote George Girardi, Adam, not what you want. Yeah, to quote a bunch of mangy dogs, woof, arf, <laughs> it's it's not good at all. No, and the and well, I'll add this one, the. <laughs> yeah, I mean, for the for the anti-chemistry people, the chemistry doesn't matter, people. Uh, the Mets are just a slapped-together, expensive conglomerate. And Max Scherzer and Justin Verlander, remember all those stories about how they didn't like each other in Detroit? And then the Mets were just like, eh, they'll like each other now. They're old. They, I don't know. Why, why would they? The things don't seem to be going well over there. No, it's, it's, it's not good. And Juju is bad with both the Mets and the Cardinals right now. Um if there is a manager though that I trust more to turn around, it's Buck Showalter. Um, he's got that experience and that veteran eye, veteran leadership, um, where I think he can get that clubhouse in order, especially with all the leadership that they have on that team. Like they got, they got some big names, they got some big voices, and some guys who are really respected. Cardinals, uh, that I don't know where that locker room stands right now. That's, um, I got a sneeze coming. Oof! Take it away, Adam. I think the Cardinals' most respected voice is the interim third base coach of the San Diego Padres, Mike Schilt, at this point. Um, the Mets, ugh, this podcast, doing <laughs> pretty good. Go. Now we're talking. Now we're talking. Yeah, sorry for going long, everybody. We got a lot to talk about. Action-packed week of baseball and the Boston Red Sox made us do it. Look what you made me do, Boston Red Sox. Taylor Swift's Eras Tour comes through Philadelphia this weekend. Grab your tickets if you got lying around. And you can catch us talking baseball, Taylor Swift, the latest updates every Monday and Thursday here on the Baseball Insiders YouTube channel. You can catch us on the audio feed on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast right after the feed goes live on YouTube. And we massively, massively appreciate all you fans, everyone in the comments, everyone who shows up to watch and listen and subscribe. Hopefully that button is still there if any of you haven't pressed it yet. As far as I know, YouTube is not taking that button away. We really appreciate it. I want to shout out, rest in peace, Divida Blue, one of my favorite pitchers of all time, someone I wish I'd watched live, uh, but a massive figure and very sort of ironic that as Oakland takes the A's away from Oakland, they also lose a pitcher who rooted the dynastic A's in Oakland. So I'd be remiss if I didn't shout him out uh, before the podcast ended, but Robert Murray, we got through it. I talked about the Yankees getting clobbered and I talked about the Red Sox being legit and I didn't puke until we got to the Met segment of the podcast, which I think is a, is a win. That, that's a big win. And once again, Adam, I am very proud of you. I did not know you had it in you, but you know what? You, you continue to amaze me. You are just, you're an unbelievable co-host, unbelievable friend. Um, show's not possible without you. I stole your line today, but it's the truth. You're, you're the, you're the goat. I appreciate it. We should end this podcast with a segment called Is Robert Proud of Me? And hopefully the answer is usually yes. And today it was yes. And Robert, I appreciate your friendship, your stewardship, your co-host abilities as well. Um, podcast would not happen without either of us, but certainly since you gave me credit, I'm going to give it to you right back. I catch up on credit. Adam Weiner first to credit other people. Um, and although we should, we should credit Joanne. She's an absolute legend. Absolutely. 
we appreciate you, Joanne. Also, I, I appreciate you, Kurt Menching, and obviously a burner, um, and Jose Perez, and and all, everybody else who's commented today. We, we appreciate you. Yes, I appreciate all of you fine folks, and we hope to see you back on Thursday, 3.30 Eastern. Like always, we will be talking all trending topics that drop between Mondays and Thursdays. Maybe the Cardinals will lead a game for a couple innings. Maybe they'll win one. I don't know. Maybe they'll get all the way to nine innings with a victory. Uh, maybe we'll have Ollie Marble on. No, probably not. Um, but we'll, we'll see, and we'll see everybody again on Thursday afternoon. Bye, everyone. Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.